What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 26 of the Half Price Concessions podcast, featuring Roger Johnson of Performance Center Racing Warehouse. First and foremost, thank you to everybody and anybody who has listened to any of our episodes, or if this is your first time tuning in, we sincerely appreciate you doing so. Do us a favor real quick. If you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us out. Be sure to also follow and subscribe to us on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, Himalaya, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you're listening to this thing on an app. Be sure to subscribe to us. That way your phone or tablet will automatically download new episodes. You can also share us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, however you get the word out. Any way to get more people listening in will really help us out. Thank you if you can do so. Roger Johnson occupies a different role in the world of weekly racing. He's not just a fan or a sponsor. He's a race car builder through his business, Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In this conversation, we dive into Roger's own background in racing, from being a crew member for a winged sprint car team to what brought him to asphalt racing, what makes Performance Center so special, and what he sees coming down the road in the world of racing. Heck, by, for, by recording this interview in Performance Center Racing Warehouse, we even got stopped a few minutes in by a customer coming in looking for some racing fuel. So sit back and enjoy this one, episode 26 of the Half Price Concessions podcast with Roger Johnson of Performance Center Racing Warehouse is coming up here in just a few moments. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting, plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. So here on the Half Price Concessions podcast, and if you've listened to any episodes, you've heard a 30-second or 45-second advertisement for Performance Center and Roger Johnson, and we are at Performance Center recording this with Roger Johnson. So, Roger, thank you for taking some time for us. The shop's quiet. You can tell we're recording on a Friday. It's gotten a little weirdly quiet in here, but uh, uh, just good to see you, man. Yeah. It's the second time I've been up here in a couple months, and the place looks pretty... Uh, pretty full of race cars which i know is good for the guy who has to sign the checks to pay these guys <laughs> that's it right like uh first of all thank you so much i, I appreciate you coming all the way over here and doing this I, it's it's i don't think people understand the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of side so I, I would like to thank you for doing it first off second of all thank you again the shop is slammed um it's been great we're so fortunate my guys are, you know, the best there can be, at least I believe, and I fight for them, <laughs> anybody that says different, but we're fortunate to to be super busy, and, and it's that time of year, we're only a couple weeks away from the from the openers. Yeah, I was about to say, for, for in the race car business, is this kind of 
the busy time where it's we're kind of about a month away or so from weekly racing and stuff is this kind of the busy time or is the busy time kind of during the season when people wreck their race cars i, I think it's I, I think it used to be where this was just the busiest time but the intriguing part is is that our jigs haven't been empty in a year so we've always been behind now and, and i think with the upswing in how racing is conforming now, I, th I think it's a big deal. I think m most of your top teams are racing 12 months out of the year. There, so, so yes, the winter is big to answer your question, but it's, it's, not as, it's not as big as what it used to be. But then during the racing season, it wasn't as big. So it's, it's kind of... It's kind of come and gone. Yeah, it kind of goes up and down, right? It doesn't... Early on in January, um, we weren't very busy with new cars. We, we had cars to build, but as far as new cars to clip or cars that people were bringing in, it was mostly just all fresh builds. Um, but it just hasn't stopped. It hasn't we're still four cars behind. Hey, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Very You'd best, be yes. Four cars behind. For sure. Um, I know we'll get into a lot of the shop as this thing goes on, but I kind of want to dig a little sure. bit just into your store because in, for those of you who don't know, Roger has his own kind of YouTube podcast kind of thing called The Grind. <laughs> you can subscribe on his YouTube channel. A lot of good video content, interviews and stuff. Some that go two and a half hours yeah. long. <laughs> but um, for, and I've heard little snippets of your story, but I kind of want to get the full thing. So you're in quite a different capacity than probably most people that are just fans, go to a racetrack, maybe buy a t-shirt, but they're just fans. You're on this. You're all the way in this thing as a business owner, so your passion has to be, you know, two times and three times fold because you put so much on the line. So what I really want to hear is, where did this even all start for you? Like, what is what is kind of like your earliest memory of racing in any capacity, watching it on TV or, or going in person? What's kind of that early so, memory you have where you you started to kind of grow for it? Um, my my family really was not into motorsports at all. Um, they were construction workers and they didn't, they weren't big fans. So I lived in a little tiny town in a place called Archibald, Ohio, which is in the far Northwest corner of Ohio. And at seven years old, our little tiny town had a street race okay. for go-karts. So I pedaled my bike. It was about a mile and a half. So I got on my bike and I rode into town we were country kids and i watched this street race and it was over it was the end right there um many of my classmates in school we were in elementary school had raced um one of them was sam hornish indy 500 champion he was yeah. we went to high school together we're dear to friends all through um some other sprint car guys uh one gentleman, Tully Esterline, he's the head engineer, I think, of CNR Radiator. We, we had a kind of a cool little group of sandlot kids, right? And I went to my grandfather and I asked him for $1,300 for a Coyote go-kart that had a five-horsepower Briggs on it. And he yelled a bunch of profanities at me and told me <laughs> that that would never happen, that I needed to figure out how to do it on my own. So I went to work. I... Uh, I've never mowed as much grass in my life as I mowed that summer. In the next year, I had saved enough money to where I bought not that same go-kart, but a go-kart. And thankful to be able to have many great people like Sam Hornish Sr. And, and 
we, we were all so young that we had to get a dad to drive us. Well, my family worked, so they couldn't go. So I kind of was the tag-along kid. I tagged yeah. along, and they, many great people helped me get here because my family just weren't racers. Were there a lot of kind of go-kart tracks around your area where you could go race? Yeah, we, <clears throat> we raced anywhere. Anywhere we could race, we raced. There, there was, up north, there was a lot of little towns that had cool little go-kart street races for their local little strawberry festival or whatever. It was a big thing. Just like a little, like, makeshift track, yeah, like a state fair kind they, of thing. Right, right, but they wouldn't be makeshift. They'd be huge in Elkhart, Indiana, and all over up in the northeast, right? Like, people took it for real. It was, yeah. it was interesting. I remember seeing motorhomes, and we had, like, a... We had a 12-foot trailer with six go-karts in it. We had them strapped to the doors and everywhere else. It was amazing, right? It was, it, when I look back, it was probably some of the most fun that I ever had in my life. Yeah. And I realized that I've raced go-karts for a while. And a few years, I'm going to say till I was probably 13 or 14. And I realized that I just wasn't really that good. Just the hand-eye coordination wasn't there. Like, just. No, I didn't like my neck being all jacked up in there, right? Like, we started going to bigger racetracks, and it, they just were starting to allow us on, like, super speedways, <laughs> three-eighths-mile tracks for go-karts where we would put full-body fairings on them, and it was a good time, right? Like, it was fun. But I noticed I, I really wasn't that good. Yeah. And I I just wasn't that good. I I. I was surrounded by phenomenal people. Yeah, same. I found Hornish. out later. Right? <laughs> Kyle Souter, he's multiple World of Outlaw wins. Uh, I mean, just we raced a lot with Danica. There was a lot of different people in that. Shane Meal used to come up and race. There was a lot of good people that raced along there, and it just didn't. I wasn't good. I, I, my cars were good. Yeah, but I just wasn't that good. So I was like, "All right, I'm gonna take another direction here. I'm gonna start working on these things." So I started working on them, and they went really good. About, about, about what age was that where you made that 14, turn? 13 or 14. Okay. So yeah. about middle school, high school yeah. age we, uh So one of my friends, we were, we, we were all kind of entrepreneurial kids, and uh, the one his dad owned a TV VCR repair place. Well, you can't find those no more. <laughs> 100% right. It was called Souders TV VCR Repair, and he, they had bought a sprint car. Oh. And I was 14. It was on. I had never seen this before. Now, was that a 410 or was that one of those? It was those, a 360 uh... sprint car. Okay. It was Close. a step below 410. We, we could race at a local dirt track. Here was the problem. None of us were old enough to drive the vehicle to get there. Mm. So we bought an old busted trailer that somebody had crashed and an I-beam had gone through and we patched it up and we started doing all this. Well, we went out and went pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and then we went good some more, and then we went good some more, and I I found a passion on the dirt racing thing. Um, my grandparents' construction company had sponsored uh, dirt racers some, so I completely went a different way because I didn't think I could get a fair shake. They uh, they sponsored Scott Bloomquist's car quite a bit. It was the Miller Brothers construction yeah. on the side, and I was afraid if I went that route, people would think that because my grandfather's company helped them was an unfair shake for me so I went completely the opposite the hardest road I could go and I got to be about we, we sprint car raced a lot we, we won 10 or 11 360 races in one season at Eldora we, oh wow yeah we, we raced all over it was a great time and 
I went to college for a while. I enrolled in college and then I kind of came up missing. I got an offer to go with Frankie Kerr on the all-star circuit of champions. Nice. And I kind of just abandoned college. Didn't really tell. You just dropped out. Yeah, I didn't really tell a lot of people. <laughs> I think they still thought I was going, but I wasn't. <laughs> right? I was gone. <clears throat> so, so now you're now you're getting to go help a 410. Right. And and a legendary 410 sprint car racer in Frankie Kerr. He was a 10 or 11 or 12 time all-star champion. He is down here now. He works has worked at many different cup organizations, crew chief for Robbie Gordon, m many people. Very small. One of the most influential people, I think, probably in my career, for the simple fact of he just knew how to do everything. He could run a lathe. He could run a mill. He could lay fiberglass. He could work on motors. He, he just gave me a lot of discipline to be able to not necessarily have to be an expert in any one thing if I was well-rounded enough. Yeah. And... Post that, I got an opportunity to go with Darren Pittman. Oh, that's a that's that's a big name that's still out there running. Yep. So I was seventeen or eighteen, and I was uh, maybe nineteen at this point. And I had <clears throat> I had uh, I we, we were on some kind of break, and I came home and I, I got this weird call on my phone from Oklahoma, um, and it was Darren, and I had not really met him before, and he asked me if. He had just fired Kenny Woodruff, who was a legendary crew chief in sprint car racing, one of the winningest ever with Dave and Dale Blaney. And he asked me if I would like to give this a try. And I would come out on the road and, and we would go at this. So was he, was he running World of Outlaws or was yes. he kind of picking it? Okay, He so was he running was. World of Outlaws, but not on a full-time basis at this point. Oh, okay, he's picking and choosing. Correct. Okay. Um, so he said, I'm going to, we never talked about pay or nothing. Of course not. Nope. You were you were nineteen, right? I, he said, <laughs> he said, where do I get you a plane ticket to? And I said, I told Miss Toledo, Ohio, oh, there's nobody, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. He flew me to California. I spent two days. I completely took everything apart, started over. Um, we went out and won the next two races. He had never won a World Valor race before. Yeah. And it was on after that. Did he own the team or was he driving His for somebody? His dad owned the team. Okay. They owned um, Chains of Auto Salvages in the Oklahoma area. Yeah. And we went after it. But the intriguing part was we didn't have all the stuff that everybody else has. Even though his dad, the, the viewer right now is thinking, oh, another rich kid. Uh, yes, but no. We were not allowed to do it like that. We had a standard trailer. We got a couple motors we 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 did we didn't you didn't have, you didn't we, have did, uh, we didn't have the four million right like we did yeah. we worked out of the garage they, they had a three-car garage that i turned into a shop i lived above the shop right like it was it, it wasn't we changed motors in the parking lot it was, yeah. it was different there was no day. open check <laughs> no no it was it was very, I, I had to be accountable for almost everything that happened and and we should have been we were young we were stupid <laughs> I think about it in today's times, right? Like when I turn a night, two couple nineteen-year-old kids loose right? on the road, and one twenty-one-year-old kid because we had to have somebody that had a CDL license. Yeah, you got to drive the rear. Correct, but nobody was old enough. Again, so we uh, we had a great time. Those were some of the greatest times I think I ever had in life. And you're, I mean, when you're when you're running four ten uh, winged outlaws like that. 
I mean, you're racing so much. Yeah, we. I mean, it's nothing for those guys to run 80, 90 programs a year, not counting the ones that get rained out. The most we ever run was 135 nights. Goodness. Yes. Man, it's a lot of racing. I, I, uh, I would usually come home uh, from the road. I, I, uh, as soon as the banquet would be over, I would get a week or two weeks, and then I would be right back. So I would spend less than 20 days all told home. Wow. That's just, man, that's just so much racing. I cannot get over that. Like, I know we're, we're hearing some, we're hearing some sound coming from the yeah, outside here. Sure as where we that is. Talk that's... about 139th of racing. So, I mean, that was, I mean, that's, I just, I can't fathom that. I can't great. get over that. It was a brotherhood. I mean, that's like, that sounds like you, there were some weeks there where you were running like Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. Correct. There was some nights where we raced every night. We would have different segments, Ohio Speed Weeks, Indiana Speed Weeks, Pennsylvania Speed Weeks, where you would race four, five, six nights. Uh, we would have nights where we raced in Texas, where we would have to two days from then be in Oklahoma. So yeah. a lot of differences. Man, that is just nuts here. Yeah. Hey, man, what's up? Good. We don't have any. Nope. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll probably in the next, I would say maybe next week sometime. All right. Sorry about that. All right, bye-bye. So, you're running. See, I'm, awesome. I'm glad I am glad I kept, I'm going to keep that on there because that just shows that we are actually in the shop. Right, if anyone that was perfect. Doubts, we ain't in no sound studio. Uh, this is, we are actually. This is the way it's supposed to be. We had yeah. a customer walk in. Well, we can hear him outside yeah, the parking outside. lot. We, we get a lot of drag race guys that like to buy racing fuel, so we yeah. sell to all kind of people. Anyway, go ahead. Where were so we? So you're running now. Was that all winged outlaw, or would y'all sometimes go all, run the wingless shows? All winged cars. That's we we would, but we could we could pick up the world of outlaw events. Plus, we could pre-race some of those places sometimes. Yeah. Um, you could race all-star events. It was the same rules, same motor, same whatever. And it was a good time. It was, it was really a good time. I, I ne I've never been, I think it's one of the reasons that it's still so strong today, is that it's a community. Like, if you knocked a rear end out, if, if you crashed and knocked a front axle out from underneath your car, it was all, I was the crew chief on this thing, and yeah. it was all I could do to get to it. Because so many people were helping you to go back on the racetrack. Now, and that still happens that, today. Correct. And I struggled so badly when I came down here because that wasn't the way we raced. Yeah. We, we raced that we all wanted to race, and we traveled with these people so many nights a year, and we, we wanted to see you. We didn't want to beat you the wrong way. We wanted to beat you the right way. And I think that's some of the morals that, that dirt car racing still has, that it allows it to gain its growth it's something that like when i watch on dirt vision and you see a, a sprint car go on the wall or wreck or anything that looks like it can be repaired to get the car back out there it's on for for people that are maybe more versed to watching nascar or, or some other form of racing when the car comes in the pit or in the hot pit and they see 10 guys jump on it and only two of them are wearing the same shirt they they're like what are they doing? Right. And it's like, well, everybody has basically the same stuff. The car doesn't seem terribly complex. Obviously, your setups are a little different, maybe little things here and there. But for the most part, like, there's a great thing. I don't know if you listen to Open Red, the World Outlaws podcast. They did an episode with two of the crew guys that are out on the road here in the last couple of years. 
and they say the first things that happen is the wreck happens and then other people will come up to you and be like hey what, what size mean? bolts you know what size whatever 100%. and everybody just jumps on it and it's just because you guys are traveling so much 100%. you're all you have out there is each other that's it that's it we the intriguing part why i think i loved it so much is we would go places and because we were all staggered throughout the united states like when we would be up north we would work out of my family's garage or when we would be in indiana we would work out of gertie's engines or when we 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 were always at someone's shop and it might be the people that you were racing against yeah. that very week, but we all parked our stuff to the same. We all stayed at the same hotels so we could all have fun. You know yeah, what I mean? Cutting we, loose after did, a night. We, right. We didn't have a lot of downtime because we, we raced in the evenings. We would car wash. Then we would have to be back up at seven or eight o'clock in the morning because we needed to run valves and mount tires for the next night. Well, the gates open at 1 or one thirty for the next night, so we need to be over there in line to park and sign in. The races start at 6, and we would all go again over and over and over and over again. Another thing those guys talked about was how valuable it was where you would start to memorize what tracks had a good, reliable, well-lit car wash 100%. nearby. <laughs> yes. You were out on the road, so 100%. you testified to that. Loved it. Yes. We, we would actually just get hotel rooms to shower because um, a lot of time we would shower after the event. I, I kept big muck boots in the trailer. We yeah. would just change and go in and pressure wash everything and leave it in the trailer. A lot of time we would go get a hotel room. Everybody would take a shower. We'd pile in the truck, drive 10, 11 hours to wherever the next race was going to be the next night. We'd wake up and you'd be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you were going to you'd get out and drop the tailgate in whatever parking lot you were in, and turn the radio on and go back at it again. So how long, awesome. how, how long did you do that? How long did you kind of run for, on the road? I think I did that for four or five years. Um, I had a really good time. It was, it was probably the best four or five years of my life. Not that it's bad now. I just was, was, there was no responsibility, right? Like I was living in my dream. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing, right? I didn't come from a racing family, so it was just really something that was all me. I really wanted to do it, and I did it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. So what, what pulled you off the road? What, what, made you, what made you say, all right, let's go a different direction? Or was it even your choice? I got some opportunities to do some things that I didn't think I could turn down. Um, the world of Aladio is, and I'm sure any of those gentlemen that have ever done it will tell you that it's like dog years. It, it, you age like seven to one, right? Like, I mean, you're just going so hard all the time. Um, I think it's kind of the closest I can imagine to like working on an oil rig or being offshore fishing or, you know what I mean? Just craziness the way it's happening. And I got an opportunity to come work for AJ Floyd. Oh, who can turn that down? I couldn't. I mean, that's, that's greatest I, American racer. I, I couldn't. This kid was How does that come about? Um, so we, I had a friend, his name was Sean Irvin. He still, I think he works tunes motors for roush now that i met in the racing thing and he um he worked at aj foytson and once it all kind of came together aj really had a lot of people that i knew that worked there that i never knew that just from going through the sport different people that i had met in different organizations and they offered me a job and 
The money was terrible, but I didn't care. Because yeah. it was AJ Foyt. And I thought it was legendary stuff. And I got in it. And that was it, right? Like, I, I moved here. They were teasing me because I didn't have to drive the truck anymore. And I didn't have to be able to change the valve springs. I didn't have to, uh, it was really compartmentalized for me. I struggled with it very, very hard in the beginning. Um, people, I think, thought you were out to take their job. And I really wasn't out to take their job. I, I was just used to working 16 to 20 hours a day. That's what we did. Everybody went home at five. I didn't, when, I, when I moved here, I, I knew absolutely, positively not one single thing about front suspension on a race car. We have solid axles in sprint car racing. Yeah. Even in go-karts, we had solid axles that I put in a bandsaw and cut so I could move. But we never, so I had to whole learn again. So I had to go hard to be able to try to catch up with legendary guys that had been doing years and years and years. And on day one, I dropped the Daytona car off the plate. Oh, oops! How how did People you don't get talk sick? about stuff like this? Did, did you did you get sick to your stomach? Yes. Oh, how did it even happen? Was it just pure accident or uh, just ignorance? And you just needed no, to learn. No, uh, there was a, a the plate guy was there, and he was working on the plate, and I was standing there observing, and he asked me. We were talking about uh, bump steer and, and different things that that we did, and. I, uh, he asked me if I'd let the jack down and that's a sprint car kid. They don't roll away. They're direct drive. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, it. <laughs> that's not going like, anywhere. That, you could turn that thing over. So he asked me if I would let it down and I, I didn't know that it was supposed to be chalked and I let it down and he blamed it on himself. Right. Which was okay. great because I would have probably lost my job. Um, and I blamed it on me and I left immediately and they all thought that I quit. But I'd realized that the fab shop were all mostly local North Carolinians. And they really liked to go home at 5 or 6 o'clock. Yeah. So this Yankee kid from Ohio, two days before we're getting ready to go to Daytona, dropped our, our primary car off the scales. I left. I went to the convenience store. They all smoked Winston Lights. Yeah. I bought every carton of Winston Lights in the entire place. There's an ABC store at the corner of Route 3. I went in there, and I bought quite a bit of brown liquor. Yeah. And I was making no money, so I actually spent almost two weeks' pay. <laughs> Good. I about to say, just on the cartons of cigarettes, you probably dropped a ton. I, I took it in there, and I told each individual person that I was sorry, that it was my fault. And... Initially, it went over really wrong. Because they'd heard the other guy take the blame? Right. But a couple weeks later, it went right. And I've kind of been going ever since. Wow. I think that was kind of like my defining moment. Is this going to fit in or am I going to go back sprint car racing? Or, But it's all about people. It seems like such a different culture. It is so like different. Of, I know you, you had to learn a lot of different things. Like you, you were talking about just the, the suspension stuff. But mm -hmm. just the culture... Is so different, not just dirt to asphalt, but I mean, sprint car racing to, you know, what you went to. It, it seems like you went from being on Mars to being on Mercury. Yeah, sprint, sprint car racing wasn't, like, we weren't after each other's jobs. It was, it was, it wasn't that way. It, it was, you got in the machine, and then it was a privilege to kind of be in the machine, 
right? It was a, it, we had a lot of good time. You, you, at least I felt privileged to be at a, I, I told my dad one time, I said, you're never going to believe this. They're paying me to work on this thing in the parking <laughs> lot in Pennsylvania. You're never going to, and he's like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, no, this is amazing, right? Like, that's how I knew that that was my hook. And yeah. if I, I just didn't think that I could leave, live a conducive family lifestyle in, in being gone 50-ish weeks a year. You probably couldn't. I mean, most of those guys admit that Correct. you got a girlfriend or wife or kids. I mean, you're just not it's there. You're, right. you're, you're on the road all the time. That's it. So I came here, spent some time, um, moved on from A.J. Foyt's to uh, work with Casey Kane for a while. Um, Worked with Jamie McMurray at the Yellow Freight One car. I, I enjoyed the Nationwide Series, I guess Xfinity or whatever. Yeah. I enjoyed it quite a bit more. I, I never really enjoyed racing on Sunday that much. Yeah, you wanted why. that time off. Yeah, and, and I don't even know that it was a time off, but um, my family worked very hard. But Sunday was always a day that we spent together. And I think that was always from a young kid. And I, I, I think that's stuck. Does that make sense? Like, that's stuck. Even like today. a tradition thing. Yeah, even, even today. Yeah. Uh, Sundays are our day, right? We get up in the morning and we go to church and we have brunch afterward and, and once in a while we get a customer that needs to drop something off up here. So I con everybody after lunch that we're going to make a quick run up to Performance Center, right? But we're still all together. And, and I think that was one thing that I, I really missed. And, and so I kind of walked away from the cup deal once um, my son was born. I yeah. thought this is a time to kind of take some steps backward. Yeah. So... It's funny you mention that because now we get to this place, Performance Center. Sure. And it's easy for me to remember how long you've been here because it's the same year that I started racing out in 2010. So how do you even get to the point where being in the ownership stake that you are, where that even becomes a thought? Like, like where to take take me back to that where does that even come from at the origin all right so i was toyota started up like a little side satellite deal uh david green was um gonna drive it for them there was some investors out of michigan i believe so i was doing it and i tom Pistone, who was one of the original owners of performance center he, um, there was two, he was one of the originals, and he and I were neighbors. Okay. Um, we lived a couple of homes apart, and he, we started talking about different ways that I could help him or we could benefit together just from all the things that I were doing. We sat out back over a couple of beers, and we're trying to figure out ways to both improve. And Were you kind of fully aware of his legend? I mean, Tiger Thomas Stone is... Well, I mean, it's his grandson, right? Yeah. Like, so he, there, there was tons of history behind what they did, but, but, and, and great guys, I, I thought, man, I can really improve this. And he had a really good group of employees that already worked here. So I thought, well, let me see if this works. So I, I got a car and did a little bit in here just to see kind of if I could make it all work out. And it worked pretty well. So um, one night over dinner, uh, I think we were out to dinner actually with a group of people or something. And Tom Pistone said, 
uh, Mitch West was calling his cell phone. And Tom Fistone said, you should take this. You can give him more answers than I can. And I thought it was amazing. I yeah. was like, and he just I, trusted me to right. be his I was, customer service. Right. Wow, how great was that? Um, I mean, Tom has been very good to me for a lot of years. Many people in this racing deal have helped me so much to get me to where I am now. Um, I just decided, let's go. Yeah. And he and I made a deal. I, without much hesitation, went and I wanted to hire Greg um, because Performance Center before didn't necessarily build its uh, its complete own cars. They bought pieces from multiple different vendors, and this was kind of like an assembly facility. They bought for the for the LTO. Correct. They, yeah, the LTO chase. Right. Bobby Creech did like the the center sections, and I think they did the fronts and they did the rears. And um, I bought a couple cars from Bobby uh, early on, maybe one or two. I think. Um, until I got everything settled out with Greg, but I quickly realized it. Um, Bobby and I did business completely different ways, and uh, that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. We, I'm I'm pretty straight down the pike. There's no gray. It's black or it's white. This is what it is. And and he had some different ideas. So I called Greg Marlow and asked him if he wanted to go golfing. And everybody freaked out, I guess, because we were supposed to be arch enemies because we weren't, we were opposing shops, you know, they were kind of oil and water, the LTO brand and the Marlowe brand, you know, LTO was a big five-star distributor and the AR bodies were on the Marlowe side. So it was a, it was definitely a, a three or four mile radius divided hard. And I didn't want it to be divided. So I went to Greg and I asked him, if we could go golfing, I'm a terrible golfer, just so we're completely clear. We golfed three times in one week together, he and I. And he beat me every time, very badly, very badly. <laughs> and we drank a couple a, a couple adult sodas and, and kind of hashed out a plan to see if we could make it go forward. And, and we had a good time. About to say. We're still having a good time. I got him back. He, he comes back, works for me a couple, two, three days a week now. Pops up on your podcast, right. too, on I YouTube. I love it. Right, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I, I, I want to keep those guys around. I, I think they're the key to our success. I think that if if we allow the data that those gentlemen, like like him or Kerry Bodenheimer or Larry Pollard or, or, or even Jay Hedgecock to a point, right, a legend of the sport, um, I, I think I think that if we let that slip away, it it's just unfair to the generations that come behind us. I, I think they're these are great men, and yeah. I, I think we gotta. I, I think that older guard doesn't necessarily exactly know how to tell their story, so I think we need to help them. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. So, as a business owner, when yes, you, as you come in, what was kind of like? I'm sure you had plenty to learn. I'm sure for running a business, but what was kind of your first? kind of big kind of hiccup or uh-oh in the road where you kind of had to learn okay i don't want to do it this way i need to do it a different way. like was there was there anything that hit kind of right off the bat that you were like wait it's like where you kind of had to like an education moment for you i was so in the cup deal right like i was the car chief on the 32 tide car our budget was 12.4 million like money we went, spend we went it. hard yeah. right like and then i came in here and i realized most of my customers, or uh, I shouldn't say most because that's an unfair statement, uh, 
a select group of my customers, you have to figure out how to help them without them spending money. That's the key. The key is that anybody, and, and my family has used this kind of as a motto for their life, and it's funny how it came back to me later in life, anybody can spend money and accelerate the way things go, but it's really great when you don't have the money and you try to assist that way. So I actually had to pivot my game plan so far because the way I knew how to solve the problems was not the way that the local racer could afford to solve the problem. Yeah. So the cadence became different, the communication. I, I, I got cussed by more than a few early on. Marla would tell this story way better. Like, they just didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah, like you were speaking a whole different language. Correct. I was talking about caster gains and camber gains and slip angle saturations and, and showing Greg plots of how things worked and people were looking at me like I had 12 heads. That wasn't... It, and I tried to be stubborn and think that I could teach them and they'll just do it my way. It, it took me a few years to learn that it's not really how it works, that I needed to figure out how to better communicate with them. And so I went back and I kind of altered the way that I did things so that the customer base could, could better understand. Yeah. I all, that was all I wanted from the beginning. I was just, the delivery wasn't very good. You're kind of like Steve Jobs. You were a little too far over their head. 100%. And you it was my own fault. And, and thankfully, I had great people around me. Greg Marlowe. Greg and I have always got along good because he's not afraid. So many people are afraid to tell me the truth. Yeah. And Greg and I's deal for 10 years now has always been, no matter how bad it is, if you think I'm messing up, you tell me I'm an idiot. I, 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 I know I'm an idiot sometimes. I, I, you know what you, I mean? You I, need to hear it sometimes. Right. And, and I, I think many people that are very passionate about things, can, it's easy to somewhat slowly get off the path one way or the other where you don't identify with the mass of your customer base. And, and I've been very fortunate to have unbelievable fabricators come through here. You know, Stuart Haas had fabric here, had body hangers from here. Uh, the gentleman before he passed away that was GMS's, um, Jonathan Morrison, he was GMS's head, head body guy. We have Aaron Wolf, who's an engineer at DGR now. I've, I've been blessed with so many great people that I think they've kind of all shaped me. I work for them is really, truly the honest part. Yeah, you're learning from I, them. I, I, I've learned from every single one of them, everybody that I've ever been around. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, it was good. Because a lot of people, it's hard for a lot of people to humble themselves, you I, know. Well, I think... Especially it, when they've got, I mean, you got skin in the game, you got ownership in the game, so, I mean, it'd be it'd be easy to sit there and be like... You know, well, that, that idea is fine and dandy, but I'm the one that's got to pay for it on the back end. Well, I learned early on that I can't do it all myself. I tried for a long time. I wish I could tell you that I didn't and I wasn't so hard-headed and I, <laughs> you know what I mean, just caved in. But I, I to really be honest with you, um, over the last five or six years, I've really gone through a big change. Um, it, it's It's not... It, it went from being about having to make 10% margin to make payroll to 
the margin doesn't necessarily become the problem because we're blessed with so much work that we don't have to do because we weren't trying to squeeze that five or six percent out of everybody. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. It uh, does. It was a different game. I, I hadn't necessarily played this type of a business. I have been involved in many, many businesses, but I hadn't ever necessarily been really involved with something. At, so, selling a go-kart for twelve or 15 or $2,000 is a little bit different than fifty, sixty $60,000 yeah. stock cars, right? Or, I, I kind of look at it just in my own head comparing it. It's like if someone took your race car, like this, this business is selling race cars, and then you took like the the guy who's a Ford dealer that deals in like passenger cars and yes. stuff. He sells a car and he's kind of done with it. The next person that's going to see it is like the service manager 100%. or the parts guy. Something in your line where not only are you building the salesman didn't even build the car. The car came on a truck and it's sitting on his lot and he prices it and tries to sell you on the experience and being nice. You have to build the car. Yeah. You have to keep up with, the trends and the technology and what's going on. You have to sell it to the customer. You do sell it to the customer. And then you got to be there when the customer wrecks the dang thing we or is not it. running. We repair it. All yeah. of them, yes. You're way 100%. more involved than like a normal car salesman is. 100%, right? I, I think it hurt me some that I wasn't in this culture before. Yeah? Like light model culture? Yes. I, I think... I, I think that's what I can't wait to see the next 10 or 15 years. If you, if you take a look at this, we really have some good people that have spent, you know, 15, 20 plus years in this culture that, that their businesses are starting mature. Like, he doesn't even have my cars, and I, I can't wait to watch Lee Pulliam. Yeah. I think he's matured so much, right? Like, this guy, it will be a, an, an is an unbelievable owner, right? Like those are guys that I'm intrigued because they can really be game changers in the sport. You think about how big their brand is. They've been building their brand for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Right? Like it's large. I so I can't wait to see guys like that make a splash. Before I, I get too far down cuz I do have some late model questions. Sure. Here's here's a question. Sure. With all your sprint car experience, mm -hmm. all the time you spent, did the thought ever cross your mind to like go against Maxim? Or those guys that build sprint car chassis and stuff like that? Or did you just decide, all right, I'm kind of in NASCAR. I need to kind of stay in this wing. Did the thought ever cross your mind, like, why don't I just yes. build my own sprint car? Yeah? Yes. I wanted to do it very badly. Oh, man. I wanted to do it. I went to, uh, I really wanted to do it. I, but I didn't think at that time that I could get sprint car racers to evolve out of here. Yeah, it's not really a, there's not really much sprint car racing around here there, at all. At least there didn't used to be. Now Casey's got his place over there. You know, now Brown and Miller, they keep a few cars, I think, around. Like I, Before it was taboo, right? We were all in Ohio and Indiana. Like, that's where all the motor, Wisconsin, if you wanted a wing, if you wanted to, right? Like, J&J uh, &J was in Tennessee, which was way south for a sprint car thing, right? Like, that was, oh, gosh, right? So I, I did, but I didn't think that there would be enough customer base. Yeah, and you have to think about that as a business owner. So. I didn't, and I, I was super afraid that I couldn't cross-collateralize the two, meaning, you know, stock car guys are stock car guys, and sprint car guys are sprint car guys, and they think completely opposite, mm -hmm. like not even close to the same, 
They have different thought processes, different ways they go about almost everything. So I, I just didn't, although it is steel bent up, I didn't think that they overlaid that well. Yeah. But I have to tell you that the sprint car racing, I, I, was just some of the greatest times of my life. I've never worked so hard, but yet been so fulfilled ever. It was amazing. Yeah. So on this late model deal, there's, you know, you're going, there's, there's quite a few people because this is kind of late model country and sure. we're not quite super late model country or anything like that. I built some of them too. Yeah. I about to say, I do, I do remember when you built, do y'all still do those or did y'all kind of, yeah. I, I, listen, I stay in my lane, right? Like I, okay. I, I build a few for my friends. Like I build Gil and some David and I, I build a couple for a friend of mine I have in Nashville. And I, I, it's just hard to really production build those cars. There's many people that build a great car, yeah. right? Like I, I personally think that Jeff Foltz down there at Fury's probably got the best program that you could have. Yeah. Right. I, I, I really do. He's got a great program. Why, why do I want to dilute the pool? more right like yeah because he's going Seneca right. Kyle Busch has gotten into it yeah There's, but Kyle Busch is not into it see that's the thing him. I think that a lot of people don't it's know a, it's got his nickname on it, it but it's I guess got it's, Rowdy on it because they paid money I, but that's yeah, not Hanky. Kyle Busch that's right, Hanky, that, right. Yeah. so I, I don't know I, I, I don't I don't know I, I, I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of things and I like I say I, it's best for me to just stay in my lane where I where I know what it is. That's perfectly. I don't. I, I look foolish enough sometimes. <laughs> <I just laughs> stay where I am. We'll keep going. I'll give you a chance to pitch though, for someone out there looking for what late model to go with. What kind of do they get from you that maybe they wouldn't get from somebody else? Like what's 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 kind of like the 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 juice inside the orange that they would kind of get from you that. Maybe not getting from somebody else. Here's where I think it changed for me. It, it changed for me when I took over running the day-to-day -day deal of this place. If you call here, you get me. Yeah. You don't. You don't talk to a secretary. You, you don't talk to a switchboard. If you call, you get me. All the time, unless I happen to be in some kind of a podcast where I put my phone on silent. <laughs> but other than that, you always get me. And. I think the one thing that I get in feedback is I understand that you can't work on your car from 8 to 5.30 Monday through Friday. Yeah. You need help at 9. Yeah, he's working from like 6.30 to 10 o'clock. 100%. So I, my family doesn't always enjoy it the most and... and if you want to get me, you get me. You can call here and get me. You can call my cell phone and get me. If you call here, it rings to my cell phone, right? Like, it's, I think just the access to me, to be able to, you have a question about this, you have something about this. Um, I keep an, a huge amount of parts on the shelf. Yeah, I'm looking at quite a bit of them right now. Meaning, <laughs> I think that it's, I put myself in a customer position to where, if I select somebody that I buy their car, let, let's take it back to I race quarter with my son. Yeah. And I selected uh, a company called Stanley to, to build his cars. Well, if they didn't have front axles, what was I going to do? Nothing. Right. Uh, so I keep a huge amount of the parts that you can only get from us 
Because I never want to be the reason why somebody can't compete. We work very hard. If you get it to me on Sunday, you can a lot of time pick it up by Tuesday or Wednesday so that you can make that race. Because I understand not every one of my customers has multiple cars. Yeah. But I still want them to compete in points championships. So most Sundays... After making runs lunch, up here, <laughs> we we jump in the car, and my wife and son have their church clothes on, and we will unload a customer's car. But then on Monday morning, we can have the clip cut off of it, have it on the jig that afternoon, have the bars been up for a Tuesday, and you can pick it up Tuesday afternoon, so you could still make it to the racetrack. Wow, that's the win. That's the win. Yeah, and this ain't no. Erector set or no Legos. I mean, this no, no. is this is like, this I, is lining up geometry we, in a, in a way that's a lot more significant than I think a person from the outside really understands. One hundred percent. We I I'm just big on jigging everything. Um, everything is jigged. They if, if every if if you look, everything in blue is a jig, and and we have tons of them because I I want the repeatability. I I like the feedback, and I like it when we get told we suck. I know people get real offended. I, I'm, I used to really get offended. I love it. Yeah. Like when people tell me things, people come to me with things. That, my customer base has really made this business, to, to be 100% honest with you. Yeah. They, they, we've had some really good and we've had some really, really bad. But my customer base has made it. They've, they've supported us this whole time. I mean, greats. Lee McCall. Lee Falk has multiple cars. We, We've just been very fortunate to have a lot of good people. Yeah. Now, when you came in in 2010, with the with the race car that they were putting out of this place, did you have to do a lot as far as redesigning it, or did you just kind of tweak as time went on? Like, uh -huh. what what happened with that? So, I I have the jigs for both brands, the LTO and the MRC. Okay. Um, the MRC had quite a bit bigger following, so we kind of phased the LTO out. Um, the MRC car was, was quite a bit, in my opinion, quite a bit more conducive to right front coil bind, which at that time was a big thing. We had just started coil binding in, in here. And um, so we kind of absorbed that and just started to make some turns. Um, we put some different upper perches on it. We we redesigned the center link a touch and gave a couple different options for a couple different kind of kind of an economy and a inflated does that make sense so yeah, some, some of the customer base really wanted some specialized things so we started to offer some multiple versions of things and and through that it's just kind of it just kind of evolved into what it is i'm always curious about that because one that i was really intrigued by from the outside was uh what happened down at Longhorn Chassis down mm -hmm. in Trinity, uh, dirt late models. And they had been building cars, but they had been struggling on their national tour with Earl Pearson. And they just, they weren't winning as much as the Rockets and the Bloomquist. Sure. Bloomquist at the time was, I think, I think that was the most cars he had out of a shop. And these Longhorns were just far behind. And they bring in uh, Kevin Rumley. And I'm just purely going off of all the hearsay I've heard from other people that he had to come in and he basically just said, redesign the whole thing in CAD and almost start fresh. And that's what he had to do. So I was, that's why I was kind of curious what you, you had know, to you do. Know, I'm, I'm very torn about that. And here's why. 
I know what people expect you to me to say. Yes, that's the way it works, right? Like, yeah. But it's not really. Be, be, I think most people that understand race cars. This is terrible for a guy that sells race cars to say, but it's just the truth. I think that most people that understand race cars can figure out the small nuance differences. Does, does that make sense? Like, yeah. I don't think of any of the multiple people providing cars at this time. I would say with 98% certainty that there isn't one place that you can get on one that you can't get on another. I understand that. Does, does that make sense? I, I think yeah. a lot of times that chassis builders over-exaggerate how important they are to it because they think that's some of their intellectual property, right? Like they, They're selling themselves. Correct. And, and I think it's really wrong. I, I'm, I think that it's a brand for sure, right? Like we've proven that it's a brand. If you, if you don't believe it's a brand, it, 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 each chassis builder kind of has their own brand, their own model that they go to, their own people that they, and, and, and them themselves is the brand. But I think a lot of people hide it behind smoke and mirrors that, and I think they scare the customer because they make it too complicated. It, I, I, like I'm not, I don't want to underplay it, but it's not, it, it's not. Clean. We're not building space shuttles. Right, it's, right. We're building race cars. Exactly right. And, and, and I, I don't want to take anything away from anybody's product, including my own. But, like, listen, I hate to say this, but we were paid by a customer to set up a Frank Denny car. Mm -hmm. And we won with it, too. Yeah. So, and those cars haven't been around in 10 years. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I seen one. Correct. Yeah. But, right, but it was, it was the, the intriguing part was, is that... Yes, each car has its own little nuances, but I, I really believe that with the stuff that's out there today, with the technology that's out there, with, with the class of people, if you think about this, from late model stock cars in North Carolina and South Carolina, from a chassis builder's perspective, there are some unbelievable people involved. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable minds in motorsports involved here. And... I think that's one of the things that makes this thing so difficult. Why everybody is so close? Does that make sense? Or just yeah, it does many, many smart people. So now in 2020, going into 2020, you've been in this thing, you know, a decade and some change. Ten years. I don't mean to make you sound old. No, my accountant but, uh, told me the other day we were doing a review. <laughs> we were doing a review, and she's like, "You realize we talk about some of the other businesses?" And she's like, "You, you realize we've had parent every ten years now?" I'm like. Dang. Oh, that's exactly what go? happened. It was amazing. What what has been the biggest change you've seen? And it doesn't have to necessarily be like, you know, the cars or the mechanics or, or things like that. Is it what what it, Me. it could be the people. So Me. you yeah, you're the biggest change you've noticed. Yes. What I, about what about in your drivers? How much has changed in that from who you were getting in two thousand ten mm, to who you're getting? I think now? it's the same. I, I don't think I, I, I think we were getting the same. We we had more we had, we had more local guys that could afford to do it on their own or, or that did it on their own um, than, than what I would say we have now, right? Like, I, I don't think we have the same amount of, of, of little guys that, that are doing it in their garage, right? Like, I think they still exist, but it's not the normal now. Like, it used to be as much, which I, I enjoy also, right? Like, I, I'm not here to, to bash the young kids. I, I, I really enjoy working with a lot of the young kids. I, I've been fortunate enough to work with so many of these young guys that have come even through quarter midgets. 
Um, so I got an opportunity to see many of them very, very early. Tyler Ankrum, um, Todd Gilliland. There was, there was many. I remember that conversation you and I had many. on Pitt Road about Todd Gilliland. Yeah, I, I, I. You remember that? Yeah. We were. It was, I think. I don't know if it was a practice day or maybe it was a race day. It was a was race practicing, day. And you came up to me. Because David was, was gone. Yeah, David was David gone. David was gone, and David called me and asked me if I would go to Ace. He said, I actually think I sent my airplane to pick him up so he could make it to the race. Yeah. And yeah, it was bad. And I remember, so I, I see the son of a NASCAR driver out there practicing. And I don't know if I was just in a negative tone or if I was just like, all right, what am I getting here? Is this Can this kid actually drive, or is he just kind of putt-putting and making Dad happy? And I remember you said – He's better than his dad. He's better than his dad. Sure. <laughs> I've said that since day one, right? Like I've said that he was better than his dad. I, I, I what David say when you told him that? I've been telling. I, I tell him that every time we talk, but like, <laughs> and we talk twice a week, so <laughs> he knows yeah. my thought process on it. Um, I, I think he, there was a lot of great young kids that have come. I just want people to understand the amount of work that these kids are. I mean, they're. They're 18, 18 years old, and they're they're fourteen years, fifteen years in already. Yeah, think about that one time. It's a lot of money. It's not even a lot money. of time, right? Think, I mean, they're they're my son, Todd, a, a bunch of them, Ankrum, many uh, Repco. I think I think he started young. I, I, many of these kids, you you go to Salisbury on, on a Saturday morning. And, that's who our next crop is going to come from. They're they're amazing, right? Or legend car kids. Yeah. Seen that I, I think the biggest change has come in the customer is evolving because the cost of creating their own data is becoming so expensive. And I'll continue to say it over and over and over again. Yeah. It's the cost of creating the information that you need to compete on a weekly basis is becoming super expensive. Like that old notebook that guys used to just have and it had, well, this is what worked when it was this hot at this track Correct. at this time of year. But, but the problem is that, that guy, um, I, I, I use the term elder for that. Okay. That That is a, I have a lot of those elders in my life that help me with, hey, this is what we did here, this is what we did here, right? And I, and I consult many of them. The intriguing part is once you put a bump stop in there, right, or once you put coil bind in there, at each change, now the notebook that you compiled becomes less meaningful. Yeah, it becomes obsolete. Correct. Yeah. And, and I think... In my opinion, if I was to have to say what the biggest difference from 2010 to today is, would be the cost to acquire the data. I have a really funny story. I just bought Performance Center. It's 2010. Yeah. I just bought this. And I'd taken a young man, Matt Kurzieski, um, to Tri-County. We won a couple races, a uh, uh, late-mile stock car deal. And, and I was standing there. We were mounting some tires, and I was measuring them. And I turned to Jamie Yelton, who... Um, was very nice to me at that point in the beginning. And I said, hey, man, I have a question. Uh, where do I get the spring rates for these tires? He's like, what? I said, data. Like, where do I get the data? And he looked at me with the most four-city accent I've ever heard in my <laughs> life and said, boy, there ain't no data here. 
you got to make your own data. And I was like, well, hmm. I guess I ain't in the cup deal no more. I like nope. that. <laughs> and, and fast forwarding 10 years, he's correct. There wasn't any data then. Now there's a lot. And that's a big difference. Yeah. Like just very few people now don't have some type of way to pull their car down or, or you know what I mean? 10 years ago, nobody did. Yeah. Right? Nobody did. Now and, there's, I could think of five or six guys off the top of my head that'll come to your shop and do it. Correct. I mean, so in my opinion, I, I, I don't think, I think things have gotten more expensive, don't get me wrong, but I think that the cost of acquiring the data is the most expensive. And apparently NASCAR believes that too, which is why they're trying to go to an IROC type car or a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Th that we don't have to acquire so much data on. Here, NASCAR is going to give you the data that, that, that needs. I, I think it's a huge cost. One of the things, and I'll get you out of here on this one, is I've heard if anyone goes to your YouTube page and watches your videos and actually listens, they don't just look at the pretty faces that are on the screen. Yeah. Um, I got a face for radio, <laughs> is, man. <laughs> uh, I know I forget which episode it was. You were talking to a guy I think who had worked here and was working at Stuart Haas or Brian something like Murphy, that. Brian Murphy, yes, he's a head and, fab guy at Stuart Haas. And y'all kind of looked ahead as what's to come in Cup with 2021. And I've I've got friends that work in Cup garages too that are like, you know, they all know when this thing comes down the pipe, it's going to really kind of be like an earthquake down there. And one of the things I've heard you kind of echo is what you're going to start seeing matriculate down because a lot of those guys are probably are going to end up on chopping blocks and lose their jobs in cup. Yes. So elaborate a little bit on that for me. What, what, what is it exactly for the person that's just goes and sits in the stands and maybe watches NASCAR on Sundays after going to ACE or South Boston or Caraway or wherever they go, what's going to be the effect on like the visual on what I'm seeing from this big movement that's coming from this next gen car that NASCAR is going to roll out and, you know, or is it really going to affect anything I see? I think see? it's catastrophic. That bad? I, I think it will be catastrophic. I think it will be so catastrophic that I've been preparing for it for the last three years myself. I think that, not to be doom and gloom, but to just be completely honest, I think that two to 3,000 people in this area will lose their jobs. I think many of them, the pay that we have been able to receive from this is quite a bit larger than what we would probably receive in the real world as far as a niche marketplace and i think that you will start to see a lot of people that struggle to be able to maintain the level of lifestyle in which they maintained and i believe i'm i know this is bad it's I, be okay. I, I believe that I'm actually betting on it to implode because Dang. I'm going to employ some of the best fabricators in the country at that point. Because they're going to be free agents Correct. all at once. Correct. I have been preparing for this for the last three years. I, I've sold all my property. <laughs> I drive a little van now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really believe this will be the opportunity to where I can scale up and do some other things because the help will, super highly trained help that has unlimited amounts of data, I will be able to buy at a value. And by buy, I mean bring them in, come work for me. That's my plan. I'm glad you said it because I think just 
for the fan who, like me, just watches and watches on Sunday and they see and hear about what's coming next year for NASCAR and all they see is, okay, the car looks different, it's off the ground, it sounds different, you know, okay, car's going to look a little different for cup racing. I don't think they they don't see the backside. Yeah, they don't, don't th- see the back end of the shop. They just see the donuts in the front. I, I don't think they will ever I, – I don't think from the fans' perspective, I don't, I don't think they'll ever notice. I, yeah. I, I truly don't. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that they will. I actually think, if anything, it may help the, the back teams, and it will probably bring all the teams closer together, in my opinion. I believe from the infrastructure of this area, which has a large saturation of the employees that are evolved here, there, and everywhere, um, I think it will be catastrophic. I think it will hurt the economy in many, many ways, and I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I honestly think that we get one of these cycles every, you know, few years. And and I remember when I moved here, twenty some years ago, I remember that Rusty Wallace had just let go three hundred people or something, or Pens- Roger Penske had let yeah. go a bunch of people, and and there was all these places that were scaling, and RC had let go a bunch, and and I remember it's 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 all been compressing for a while, so. There's nowhere near as many teams as it used to be. 100%. I remember as a kid, there's that there's that famous loop in I, I say famous famous to me. I guess it's in Mooresville where you go down that road and it's like a ton of these shops mm-hmm. that all used to be or the most used to be race teams. Yes. And now a bunch of them are just like commercial businesses that don't have anything. They're to almost do all with racing. commercial businesses. Yes. Yeah. Down in the race park, they're almost every single one is a, it's almost a, a commercial business outside. I, I truly worry about the people, um, right? The sport is resilient, right? Like it's going to go through ups and downs and turns and whatever. Um, but part of what I think makes racing great is some of the things that we've seen lately with, with some of the incidents at Daytona with whatever it was, is, is the, like this, this is a working class group of fans and they're passionate. And I'm afraid that we end up with all these great people with all these great skills that we don't have anywhere to put them. Yeah, they can't all come work for you. That's it. And 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 I, you know, I got asked the other day in an interview if they if I was worried about it, and I said I'm sure I'm always concerned, but but I'm definitely not worried from the simple fact of I I think many of us inside have been able to see this happening for a while, so. We could get prepared for it. I think it will get diluted a little bit, right? Like, I think that the head guy that builds cars at Penske, he may try to build a few behind his place or, you know what I mean? There, there may be some more saturation, but, but all in all, the core groups of chassis builders right now have a very strong foothold just because there's sheer volume. Yeah. And, and the sheer volume is what you need to have a business. If you have one or two cars racing weekly that are yours because you just started to do X or Y, it makes it very difficult because the odds of those cars, how many bumpers can you sell in a week if you only got two cars out there? Not many. Right. So (laughs) I think I'm just finally right now starting to see the fruits of the labor that were, and and that's a 10-year struggle, right, like to get there. So I'm, I'm appreciative that I'm not starting now. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> let's put it that way. Be a lot better off. Yeah, I, I, 
been very fortunate. Well, brother, I appreciate it. Yeah, as and, always. You're the uh, man. Always, uh, always appreciate our talks. For sure. I, it's it's kind of nice to talk to someone that doesn't have a southern accent. I like a little diversity. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, I, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 now, if you if I call home, they say that I have a southern accent, which correct. See, that's exactly right. I, I just, they, they need to come down exactly, here a little bit. Exactly, they'll be swamped. Exactly. Man, I appreciate. What are you gonna do? Where, where are you going? What are you gonna do this year? I've got. I've only got six races on my schedule. I got filling in for a car store race, and nice. then I got five dirt modified races, and I. Uh, I love those dirt modifieds. They're so true because they got so much horsepower, but they're on a tiny little tire right so it's like you can have you you put the drag racing motor in there you got to make it work on this little tire is that so. like what stremmy does the lethal yeah exactly yeah. it's, yeah, it's those kind of race cars yeah. those UMP mods yeah he's my bud i like yeah. stremmy get along pretty good he, he was one originally that was real good we've done a lot of i think that people need to know this is about groups of people that we kind of all have just been in this grind together for the length of time and i think yeah. That's what makes it great. That's why we're all buddies. We all <laughs> we all want to go race. That's it, right? Just some of us drive and some of us work on them and some of us get paid to eat concessions and stand in the tower in the air conditioning. And you got the best gig. I, I tell you, it is tough when that air conditioner drops below 68 degrees. I mean, it's a little tough to announce a race, but, you know. You that. I, that's the And then the guys down on the ground that are lining up cars are, like, flipping me the bird from the infield. Like, it's a right. tough life up here. I, I, I don't disagree. Um, it you see good things for a speedway coming? I think so. I think. Uh, Are you involved I, over there at all, or no? No, nope, I'm gonna go there and watch as a fan. Uh, I've had the chance to, but I just, I really just kind of want to go, and that's my main thing this year. I've got, I've got a, 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 a Microsoft Word document hanging in my bedroom. None of the races on there are ones I'm working. There are mm -hmm. races I want to go watch, like Modifieds at Martinsville or Cars Tour at Ace or um world of outlaws at lancaster or the sprints at, uh, i have not been to eldora to i definitely go. want to go to eldora you, you, i mean you have to go it's amazing yeah. uh, just just amazing i mean i i haven't been to eldora in probably 15 years we used to go every weekend right so like <laughs> you got spoiled yeah right and, and just absolutely amazing i gotta go to a king's royal that's on my bucket oh, list that's the greatest what uh what, what do you think about myrtle beach I understand it. It makes me sad, but me I do understand it. Like it's just it's just the Business. time we're in. Yep. I mean, that land is crazy. That that land was nowhere near that valuable 30, 40 years ago, but now it is and I yeah. worry about it for all tracks, do you? I think most. There's some that are so far out in the middle of nowhere that it's like, you know, okay. Like people used to think about um like ace mm -hmm. and like, oh they could build a housing development out here and i actually had a guy who raced who was in real estate and was sure. like no there's there's no the, the, the infrastructure out here the zoning out here would never work but you know hickory or some of the a lot of these other places it's like yeah it's for a lot of these for some places it's a worry but some places like like 311 Motor Speedway, right. that dirt track, right. it's so far out there. Right. No one would build a housing development right. out on it. So it's I guess it's half and half. I never thought racetracks would be our hang up. I like I yeah. I just I never thought that. I never thought. Yeah. Anyways, I think I think we all got. It's kind of like uh, 
when you look on racing reference yeah. and you see all the tracks that used to run uh, Grand National and Bush and stuff and right. how many of them are gone, it's like, man, how much more popular was this back just 30 years ago than it than it is now? But then, crazy stat, they posted on Twitter the other day about the ratings for the Daytona 500 and they said, even the worst one beats the Indy 500. And I'm like, in my mind, how is that possible? How is that possible? Because to me, Indy is got look way more history people. behind it right. by Daytona. And, and look at the stands, right? Like, I mean. They got uh, 150,000 people. Right, right. We used to go to that as a kid. Did you ever go to the Snake Pit? Yes. Oh. So, <laughs> I, I, had this, I had this one. I had this one. This is a, I had this one really crazy uncle. His name was Fred. And he was a diehard IndyCar fan. And he was a diehard A.J. Foyt fan, actually. So we would, um, we would go over there the day before the race so that we could park in line. We would line up right outside of the entrance to the racetrack. And we would park in line. And then we would barbecue and grill and sleep in the car. So that we could be the first ones to go in and park next to the fence. So right there that, at 16th and Georgetown. Yeah. So then we could watch the, watch whatever was happening. And we would do this throughout the entire time. That, that was kind of where, where some of the seeds were planted. That we just, that was a big thing. My uncle would take me to these races. Yeah. And uh, he actually, he, he, he bought a go-kart later on in life, and I raced it for a little while uh, yeah. post me selling my others. Yeah, he was – those were great times in the snake pit, but it's not like it was. I, that was I, – I got a really good education as a young boy as to <laughs> anatomy of uh, the other – Yeah, the other, of the other side. Right. And, and my mom, I can't <clears> – <throat> never forget coming home. She's like, did you enjoy it? I'm like, yeah. She's like – was there a lot of good stuff to look at? I said, you'll yes. never believe it. Right? Like, and I went to my room. I didn't know. Yeah. Was, no, you know. Nothing else needs to be. <laughs> so good. See, that's the thing where people, I, th- I, I see people complain about how long Speed Weeks is. Yeah. I'm like, bro, they spend a month at Indy. Man. And they kick like, I'm, I remember watching Indy 500s where like 10 people didn't qualify or right. 15. I'm like, they're there for a month. It, it was such a, I, I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I was really I was really fortunate early on. I, I was, I didn't have parents that were in the machine, but I had so very many friends that were in the in, machine. A, in a little tiny town. Like I'm talking, there's two thousand people in this little town that I live in, right? Like there wasn't, the odds were so stacked against me to ever be involved in racing. I, I should have been farming or doing. There was so stacked. Yeah. So to be able to have four or five very bright young men that all kind of bonded together and and the compassion that our dads had is to put up with it yeah that that really as a dad now (laughs) that i see you know like i'm I'm telling you there there, there's many men that nobody will ever know their names Um, dean souder was one of them or or sam hornish's father or that these men kind of raised me as their own. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, they looked out for you. 100%. They got you to the track. They probably barked at you they when did. you did something wrong. Right, and and they would try to help correct me. And, and, and that's the interesting part because they weren't my parent, but they... You might as well have been their they kid. They might as well. 
And, and you know, what was funny is when I would come off the road from the World of Outlaw deal, I would go see them. Yeah. I would want to talk to them. They, they were, I, I just have been, I so believe mentorship is the way. It's got to be. I, I really do. And I know a lot of people don't, but I, I just believe that mentorship is the way. I mean, I, I think the more we can tell, the the younger people, the better. That doesn't mean they have to listen. I, I understand. And I, yeah. I'm only 42, so it's not like I'm 70. Nah, right? you're like, not, you're, I, I just, you only got 11 I, years old now. I just want, <laughs> I, I really think that's where the win is. I, I At least for me, that's what gets me excited talking to a guy like Kerry Bodenheimer or or having right right before you came in and we were kind of talking a little bit after um Tri-County Motor Speedway called right yeah. and and I, I get a chance to to communicate with them and, and give some advice to them of some things I've seen and they and, and those are the things that I like I that's that's what I think drives me more than any of the other stuff and you, now and you got to be willing to pull the curtain back I yeah. remember uh there was a magician that came through, I think I was in elementary school, middle school, and he did the tricks, and I was like, oh, man, that's cool, you know, it's sleight of hand and stuff. Sure. But then after he did all the tricks, he came back, and he said, all right, now I'm going to show you how I did it. And part of you, you know, as an adult, you might look at that and be like, well, you just gave up all your secrets. But as a kid, you're like, I just saw something cool. Now I know how it works. Right. And you like like I got a I got a kid this year that said something about you know wanting to learn about announcing and stuff. Yeah. And I told his mom I said, well, here here's the races I'm doing. Let's go. Whichever he wants to come, I'll come pick him up, Honey. and he can just uh, we'll get him a pit pass, and he can just follow me all night, and he'll see how stupid I am or whatever. But let him come on, because otherwise you get, you lose a whole generation. I'm right. And I'm I'm real passion there's a lot right of other now. stuff they can go do they can go play Fortnite. they can go play whatever else get them show them what's going on i'm real passionate right now about the mentorship I, I just i really believe that we have shut so many especially this version right yeah. this, this like people think i'm an idiot because uh, more than a few that i i show everything yeah i show everything you you want to see how i show you come in like Sometimes you ain't got to come in. I post enough stuff yeah, you on, show it on Facebook. social media <laughs> that I think you can get a pretty good understanding of what we're doing here. And if you don't understand, call one of the numbers. I promise you, I'm going to pick up the phone. Yeah. So it, it's a win. I, I think I think we got to keep trying to leave things better than we found it. I, I, I think sometimes now more than ever. For sure. Now more than ever, definitely. For sure. I think we keep going, no matter how bad it gets. I think we just go till we can't go anymore. And then... Yeah. We go more. Pass it off to somebody <laughs> That's else. That's it, right? <laughs> Man, I so appreciate you coming over here. I, I know hey. it's a long drive, and you you work a a, a real job and uh, a real a real non fun job. <laughs> Listen, I, I keep posting online. If, I know, I know, I, but it's I, so far. If I live closer, I if read, I wasn't married and I lived closer, right? Definitely. I uh. That's something. That Why don't you just bring all this shop to Rockingham County, North Carolina? Then I, I'll come work for you. I'm being, <laughs> being really honest with you. I have so many people now that that are, are really interested in the social. I, I think, if nothing else, I've, I've at least created some awareness that hey, we need to try to develop as much as we can out there for content for people to view. Now, yeah. I want you to know, five years ago, me and Langley 
Austin almost fought to the death over this social media because I didn't want anybody to see anything. And I'll, I'll never forget. Now you're the guy with the camera in the studio right? in here. Like, I, Greg and Marlo and I were talking the other day about how I remember a customer came in and took a picture of their car. Okay, now it yeah. was their car. They had bought it. And I remember telling Greg, because I didn't know who the customer was. And I remember I got a call and they said, man, we've seen your new car on Facebook. It's amazing. Uh-oh. And I lost my mind. Yeah, you This were is living. how ignorant I was, right? Like I was so ignorant. I, I was afraid that somebody was going to see what we were doing. And then I realized I think we're doing pretty bad A stuff here. Yeah. So I, I'd like to show you. Because I, I, I if you understand it, you can live it then. If you understand how it works, you got yeah. a great shot of having success. If I just give you a little tip here and a little tip there, you're on your own, right? Like, yeah. So, I, I'm trying to give it all. I'm, I'm scheduled to do some setup videos. Nice. So that we can. I don't even care if it's not mine, right? Like, yeah. I, I think, if I can give some of that data away, that I'm just holding on to, right? Like, I'm. If I can give some of it away, I, I think it'll be beneficial. We we filmed a little bit of stuff about hanging some bodies and doing some things like that. And I don't read that well. I just don't read that well. It's not a good you way. You dyslexic? No, I just don't learn by reading. You learn by doing. I, right. I, 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 three minutes in, I'm thinking about something else. Yeah. Right? Like I'm, podcasts are amazing for me. I listen to so many podcasts because I can listen to them and multitask and do other things and continue on. I just, I never have since I've been a boy. I, I could never really stay focused on the book. Yeah. I uh, think a lot of people have that. And, and so. That's why I like audio books better than regular books. And I like video. So this video has really spurred me to, well, if I learn this way, maybe there's a lot of. Other I'm not the only one out here. Right, yeah. 100%. So that's why I think the passion has come to create some cool content, do a little podcast, and do some different things. As you can see, we have an air hockey table in our shop. We, yeah, I noticed We that. also act like goofball and a couch and the TVs. And we, we, I just knew that I needed to, I enjoyed being in a shop. Yeah. Right? That, some of my fondest memories in life were me and three or four of my friends. We weren't old enough to drink adult beverages. We weren't, like, we just hang out in a go-kart shop, right? Like, that was great. So, you know, so many shops that you go in are very stiff. So I wanted to make it not that. I wanted to be able to have cars toured, TV on the TV and we were sitting on a leather sectional sofa and like I, I wanted yeah. to be able to have a foosball table and like we can still work but like it's a lot more cool to hang out in a shop than it is a clash 100 percent you know so I agree completely we that's why we kind of revamped all the shop to try to just make it to where we can we can be more relaxed and you can spend 30 minutes with me if you need to learn how to square your right side. We'll sit on the couch. We'll figure it out. There's yeah. a soda machine right there. Grab a soda. It's a cheer wine one too. Exactly you don't see right. that. You don't see that much anymore. Right. That thing's been here forever. <laughs> Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Do us a favor. Whichever podcast app you're listening to this on, if there's a section to leave a rating and review, please do so. It would really help us out a ton. 
Also, you can follow us on Twitter at HPC Podcast. Be sure to like our Facebook page by searching for the Half Price Concessions Podcast. If you got family or friends that want to listen but don't have a podcast app, you can go to our website to listen to any and all of our episodes at www.anchor.fm slash HPC Podcast. Also, if you want to email the show, you can do so by emailing halfpricedconcessionspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear any and all feedback that you have. Thank you for listening. My name is Tyler Williams, and I hope that you have a great day.